0: I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. My personal superpower, if there's like one thing that I think I'm really good at, I'm super curious.
1: And, you know, people can write, write, write all they want, but what are people doing? And if there's anybody that's out there doing, they know how hard it is to actually do.
0: One of the reasons that I understood the vision that I had is because I studied perfume. I really wanted to be a perfumer. I studied pastry and um, art, and I knew there were cows nearby.
1: Cause See, I'm a comic
0: who became an act. so I'm cheap. Like, you know, back in the day, like you could only do- One thing. One thing. This is Polymathic by 2PM. Welcome back to Polymathic Audio. We have a special guest with us today. Uh, I would consider him to be One of the pioneers in the creator economy today, uh, and certainly someone that I would call uh, a mentor and a friend, uh, Casey Neistat with us. Casey, you want to kick us off? What are you working on these days?
1: Uh, What am I working on these days? I mean...
0: I saw the new uh, investment. Which one? Stir, right? Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about Stir. Um, Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, not, uh, you know, Stir, I think, is just one of like a number of smart ideas, smart approaches, smart companies built by smart people, looking at the creator space in a way where, um, well, I mean, to simplify, it's like my favorite part about the world of startups or the ethos of being an entrepreneur, which is like, where's the problem? Let's find a solution. And I think what Stir is doing that's really interesting, that certainly captivated me enough to, want to be a part of it is they're trying to solve what is one of the bigger problems in the creator space, which is like, it still almost feels like the, the, that was a Harley driving by my window. Um, it still feels like so much of the creator space is like the creators kind of on their own to figure out how to build a business around being a creator. Um, and stir is making what I've seen is like one of the best goes yet at making it easier. To build your business around being a creator, making it easier to share revenue, making it easier to quantify um, um, contributors, collaborators' involvement, and then uh, compensate them accordingly, and things like that. So it's an ambitious undertaking, um, but it seems like they're doing everything right so far. I think I just read yesterday they closed a some insane round,
0: one hundred million valuation. So if this is like any other A sixteen Z. Investment of late, you you'll you know you'll at least ten x your money in the next six months.
1: You probably should have invested more.
0: <laughs> well, listen, uh, I know it t- it took a lot to get you here because you have a busy schedule. You are you're doing a lot with your time and your resources. That's um, not even I, true, Web. I it is be, true. I it have is to true. Be
1: honest with you and your audience. I'm not busy or doing a lot. I'm busy doing nothing.
0: That's what I mean, and that's that's no. This is really important because I think that we're gonna have a wonderful conversation about something that not a lot of people talk about. I was listening to Mr. Beast on Clubhouse a few days ago, and you know Jimmy was talking about his fourteen-hour days, and you can tell he pushes himself quite quite hard, right? Um, And everyone is aspiring to be him right now. Uh, You're the OG. And I feel like you've gone through more of these cycles than anyone knows. And I think the discussion that we should have should hinge on creator burnout and how people tolerate prolific creation over time, both as the creator themselves and how people re- and the people that receive that creation. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. So when you say you're busy doing nothing... What it sounds like to me is that you spent so much time being a tremendously prolific creator that you're taking some much needed time off and you're recharging your batteries, and maybe you're gonna have a streak of creativity again, or maybe you are expressing that creativity in in, in different ways. Like I wanted to talk about like that sensation, whether or not you feel like that's a problem that that also needs to be solved in this in this burgeoning creator economy. Um
1: Maybe, I don't
0: know, you know, I'm less,
1: um, I'm less empathetic about this sort of romantic idea of creator burnout than I think most are. I mean, I think the the reason why I'm doing nothing right now is simply because I can, like, I'm really fortunate and I was able to sort of do really well financially, like, you know, and I found myself in a position where I was just kind of like, what do I want to do next? I was like, fuck it. I just want to spend as much time with my kids as possible. Um, was I beat totally like, was I like burnt out and exhausted? Absolutely. But I, you know, I, when I was like 17 years old, I used to work full time, like 40, 50 hours a week in one restaurant, seafood restaurant. And then I would work breakfast at another restaurant for 15, 20 hours a week. And when I would get off my first job in the seafood restaurant at like midnight, one in the morning, I'd have to be at the other job at seven in the morning. And I just remember like a level of exhaustion then, the level of being destroyed then. And I was burnt out. Like that is burnout. The difference between then and now is like I didn't have a choice then. And I think that's more like most people in this world don't have a choice. And they just work. And you just keep working because that's how the world goes around. And that's what you have to do. And then there's like really privileged, lucky people like me um, who have a choice to work or not to work. And I'm choosing not to work. So I think, like, I think that, like, you know, this idea of, like, oh, I'm burnt out, so I need some time for me is, like, I don't know, I, I fucking roll my, idea, my eyes at that idea. Um, and I don't like to lean on it as an excuse. I just like to be honest in saying that, like, no, I'm, fuck it. Like, I'm surfing 25 hours a week right now because I can. And, like, I drop my daughter off at preschool at noon every day because or I pick her up from preschool every day at noon because I can. I don't have a job, and it's fucking great. Um, you've earned that, though, Casey. Have I? I mean, come on. Yeah, you've earned that. that. You, I you've... wasn't in a coal mine. I wasn't solving the world's okay, problems. I was making fun videos. Let's
0: let's 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 move away from that, though, because okay. I understand. Okay. I understand like the semblance of guilt that you may feel for the career that you developed for yourself, especially given where you started. I mean, I know you know. I know enough about your your early. Uh, personal history like you know you had a child young and I mean, I thought I had a child young you had a child young that's that that puts you in a position where you have to do a lot more to survive you 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 went through that phase and you you built another another future for yourself I I, I, I applaud I, I think I think a 100% of the people listening to this would applaud that you don't have to feel guilty for not doing a roughneck job and you don't, have to, you don't have to feel guilty for calling what you did work. It's tr- it's a tremendous amount of work.
1: Sure, Web, And I don't, look, I don't discount my own merits. I'm sitting in like my office and I have all my little like trophies, literally, including like a gigantic um, badge from YouTube up on the wall. I'm like very proud of what I've done. I'm very proud to uh, own and acknowledge my accomplishments. And it was a lot of hard work and a lot of risk and a lot of, taking chances where I think a lot of people may have chosen a safer route and I don't discount any of that. I guess what I'm pushing back against is it's like, I think that there's a, and maybe I take this too personally, but, um, I think there, there's a tendency towards a lack of self-awareness in certain communities, especially like, you know, the, this like top tier social media kind of community that I I live in, which is a very small space. where it's like there should be a sense of maybe sympathy or, or or empathy because we work so hard making our videos and we burn ourselves out and I just want to be a, as vocal as I can that I push back against that um I I I don't I think that it is a wild place of privilege that I find myself in and I acknowledge that every day and I think it makes me more appreciative of being able to like do the things that I do like what an unbelievably fortunate place to find myself in and um it, it, there's no guilt involved. I think that it's something that um, is unique. And the minute you lose sight of how special of a position that is, then that's the minute you sort of lose sight of maybe what's important or, or how you got there in the first place.
0: I think that that's well said. Um, and just to clarify, here's what I meant. There was a time, <laughs> there's a time when, when you almost had a schedule of uploads, correct?
1: I mean, I think I did like 700 days in a row. So I think yeah. that's maybe like the most rigid schedule I've ever had to subscribe to in my adult life.
0: Right. Would you ever do that again?
1: No. I, no way. Um, okay. I think that that's like a, a suicide mission. Um,
0: well, so from my perspective, like I'm in the thick of it. We have a different craft, clearly. But the, the pace... Is is the pace that I share with a lot of people right now? Like we are all on that same hamster wheel of of trying to of trying to like rise above the noise, right? And for a lot of those people, maybe that maybe maybe we're all not as talented as you were. Um, burnout is a legitimate thing, and it's a thing that as more people have jumped on this train of trying to be top tier creators in whichever form. Whether it's writing or or video production or whatever TikTok, Clubhouse hosting, whatever it is, um, that pool has grown, and we have yet to account for that that uh, how people how people react differently within that much larger pool to the pressures of the pace that you set for yourself for that seven hundred days right? Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I'm talking about. So like, no, I understand. I think that people would find value in, in you discussing like how you, how you dealt with that, like how you, uh, how you pushed through that, how your previous experiences influenced your work ethic in those moments. Um, and how, and how you carry yourself now, now that you don't have to do that anymore.
1: I, you know, I think it to, to, go back to sort of the foundation of what you're, what you're bringing up or like my own work ethic and the drive that I had to do, you know, sort of uh, abide by that schedule or do what I had to do at that time in my career. I think it's a matter of um, motives. It's a matter of intentions. a matter of ambition. And, you know, like I, 20 years ago, I like, you know, I moved to New York city with a plan with a goal with all these ambitions and behind those ambitions were like being a really young dad and having a sense of responsibility that is sort of the ultimate responsibility and that you are, you are responsible for another human being's life. And that's a pretty weighty thing for especially a younger person to have. So, you know, I had these goals and ambitions that went beyond self-serving, but they were lofty. Uh, You know, it's, I grew up in a sort of a environment where I was always like, told I was the idiot in high school and, you know, parents, the parents of my friends were like, I oh, don't hang out with Casey. That kid's a fucking idiot. He's going to get you into trouble. They were probably right. But it was like, it was a, it was sort of like, I was always felt like I was held down. So I think the, in some cases, like people's response to that, or at least my response to that was to want to overcompensate and prove everybody wrong. So my ambitions were extremely lofty. And throughout sort of the tenure of my career, there's been ebb and flow in me seeing paths to realizing my ambitions and those you know like they they culminated in different ways but i think when i think back to like deciding to start a technology company in 2014 and then deciding to start a daily blog on youtube uh 10 months later you know those things are connected but deciding to sort of Put the pedal all the way to the ground and like go all the way up to seven thousand RPMs and redline life for a while. It had a lot to do with the fact that ambitions of mine had yet to be realized, and maybe for the first time, first time in my career, there was a real tangible path to achieving those. And I think that's maybe unique to the creator community. Um, was well, certainly unique to my career. Where like. I could see every day my audience growing. I could see every day more and more people tuning in to watch my videos. Um, I could see every day more and more intrigue about the technology company that I was building alongside my co-founder. Um, so there was this real sense of traction and the only way that I could continue perpetuate follow through on that tra- on that traction was to work harder and to keep going. So that's the, how, like, that's how I was able to accomplish that. And then, you know, when I had an exit, I sold my tech company and, you know, I I wanted to take a break from the cadence of YouTube. So it was just like, I was sort of creatively less interested than I was at the start of it. Um, that also coincided with me having my third kid. So I have two little babies and, um, it's the best uh and it's just sort of a realization of what are my priorities now like an awareness of a need to sort of reset reset the cash on what my life's priorities are and i think i made a movie about this web like when i moved from new york city the movie was just this idea that if i had ever and it's very true but when i was young i remember thinking if i ever have the opportunity to be a dad again um i'd do everything i could to not have to work 90 hours a week and do everything I could to spend as much time as possible just being a dad. And it sounded so fantastical when I was 20 thinking about doing that. And then realizing that like the only thing standing between me and doing that now, doing that two or three years ago, was just making that decision. So that's when I was just kind of like, all right, fuck it. Let's move to California, get a surfboard and put a swing set in the backyard and let's go for it. And that's, 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 that was the drive between, behind where I am now.
0: So I, I guess just to reiterate, congratulations on, on achieving what you'd, what you'd hope to achieve. Am, am I wrong? Like you got there, right? Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And, um, thank you. And it was hard work and tenacity and perseverance, but I always think that like luck is an, <laughs> luck is an undervalued virtue. And, and when you talk about success and, I think as I get older, I'm more and more aware of just how lucky I've been and how many opportunities I had for reasons that were not earned, just maybe right place, right time, just maybe factors that were given to me rather than earned. And my awareness of that and appreciation of that, I think, grows every, every day that goes by.
0: Do you take time to talk about your career in this capacity? Do you have conversations like this very often?
1: No, that's why I hate being on everybody's podcast. They only ever want to have this conversation. Well, um, so I, mean, I love I,
0: you. Ed. I, no, I, I love you too. <laughs> I think I, I think that what, what I'm what I'm trying to get at is, you know, I actually want to move away from your from your career. I want to talk about now, really, because everyone that's on the same hamster wheel. And they're, you know, they're in that 700 day phase, however long their version of it is, is trying to get to the other side that you are now at. And when I talk about creator burnout, I'm not saying that's what you experience. What I am saying is that's the, that's going to be the issue of this era of the internet where all these people are trying to do the same thing. Some are mentally prepared for the rigors, some are not. And we're seeing people um sort of crumble under the pressure of it all. And I and I I there's not enough mentors that have gotten to the to that other side, which is what I hope people can take away from this conversation. I hope that people can understand what they're working for and what you would do differently in that time. Right? Um, does that make sense?
1: It, it it is. I I just think I have a more realistic Maybe it's not. I don't know. As, as we're talking about this and checking what I'm saying or what I'm thinking, I mean, what I was going to say is, um, and I think I believe this, is that like, there's not really an alternative. Like you, you bust your ass, you fucking pay your dues or you don't get to get to the other side. And I think the shitty part of that equation is that busting your ass working hundred hours a week um, for years and years on end is not a guarantee that you're ever going to get to the other side. And that's the tough part. If it was hard work and hard work alone, um, I think it'd be a much more equitable transaction. I think it'd be a fair process. But it's not. It's not just hard work. It's hard work. It's luck. It's all these factors that are way outside of your um, wheelhouse, way outside of your threshold that um, get you there. I think that tenacity is probably one of the factors that's more important than hard work. I think that tenacity is really the key thing but i think that tenacity is even more defeating than hard work like what's what feels worse than just failing and keep going and failing and keep going and never giving up like that is a if you never find that light at the end of the tunnel like that's a that's a really scary prospect but if you want my recipe for success it's been singular you know ever since people have been asking me for it and it's that it's um it's it is a combination of like working hard, being brave, and never giving up. And that sounds cliche or something that you read on a poster with like a little cat hanging off a branch, but that's the truth. Like there's um there's this wonderful documentary that I talked about in a vlog a bunch of years ago, and it's about this um, rock Canadian rock band. And the first scene in the movie, Webb, is like this really like kind of like beaten up looking 50 plus year old guy and he's like delivering food to an old folks home out of the back of a van and I think he gets paid minimum wage. And you later learn he's the lead singer of this band that like toured with Metallica in the early 80s, but he never broke through. They never broke through. The name of the band was Anvil. And... But he never gave up. And the whole movie is about this guy who's like this old man now. And he never gave up on his dreams. And he's making minimum wage. And all he wants to be is a rock star. And everybody in his life's is like, bro, you're like fucking old. And nobody's into heavy metal anymore. Like big hair vans died 30 years ago. Give it up. But he refused to give up. And the irony of the whole thing was that this documentary brought him so much attention that his band became successful and he started to tour again and he makes money. And now like Anvil is a band that has a cult following and he's able to make a living off of his art. So like, it may have taken him 40 years or whatever, but if any point in time between then when he started and when he found that if he had given up, he would have never done it. But Jesus, like that window of time in between, you know, in between wanting something and getting something that is a brutal
0: period. So that's what I want to ask about before you move on to something different. Because you mentioned luck being such a part of the equation. And luck was obviously a part of Anvil's equation, given someone decided that it was worth their time to tell the story, right? Um, can you manufacture luck? Yeah,
1: what's that What's that platitude? It's like the harder I work, the luckier I become. There's, but do you actually believe that? Uh I think it's more nuanced than that. I think that's a wild oversimplification. But like, I I do think that like, what is it? Luck is where opportunity meets preparation. And like, you are in control of preparation. So if you're constantly working, if you're never giving up, if you're always putting yourself in the right, you're, you're always ready for that moment opportunity might find you. Then, yeah, like that's sort of a formula for manufacturing luck. You know, like an example I like to give is like my big brother, Van, and I way back in the day when we were making videos like part-time, we were working full-time jobs and stuff. Um, The first video we ever made that like got a lot of attention was iPod's Dirty Secret in 2003. And I remember like that video got so much attention and people would ask us and we we're just like kind of bums then making like 10 bucks an hour doing manual labor. People would be like, have you guys... What else have you done, and you know, like our response was like, "We have a hundred other videos we've made, and it was like that catapulted our career, so yeah, it was lucky that we made a movie that went viral. We didn't think it'd go that viral We were really lucky, but we were prepared to embrace whatever opportunity might come our way because we had been busting our ass for the previous three, four years you know working around the clock when our boss wasn't looking making these videos because it was a it was a labor of love it was something we cared about and and uh, it, it yielded um kind of
0: returns okay that's really helpful to understand and i and i appreciate you breaking that down i i tend to agree with you i think that the answer is much more nuanced but i think if i had to share something that people could take in bite-sized form it would be that Prolific creation tends to breed luck. Um, that's my belief. That's what I personally hope for. Um, I could be I could be delusional, but that's what I think helps me get through that 700 day phase. Um, so I'll leave it at that. I want to move on.
1: Wait, can we talk about Jimmy real quick? Like you were, you brought up Mr. Beast before. I, I love Jimmy personally. Like he is a friend of mine. He's somebody I appreciate. He and I have good talks like this, just one on one, which I, I love. Despite how busy he is, he always has time to have like these really deep intellectual conversations with me. But um, he's someone I don't think he'd push back against this. You know his his work foundationally was not based around talent. His early videos were a webcam of him like playing video games or him counting to a million or whatever it was, it was just, it was a pure desire to do something. It was like an unbridled enthusiasm that was unwavering in every capacity and he would not stop. And he tried thousands of different ways, a million different approaches. He had no money. He had no resources, just a a vision of where he wanted to be and no clue how to get there. But he never gave up. He never backed down. And people talk about like how incredible it is that he is where he is and he is going to be the first billionaire YouTuber and he's going to achieve everything he sets out to achieve. But like all you have to do is scratch at the surface of Mr. Beast to see that like that guy's luck, that guy's like opportunity, that guy's position that he's in right now behind that is like a trail of uh, a kind of passion that's super elusive, a kind of persistence and and tenacity that I think is – often overlooked because it's not as sexy or romantic as the, the product that it yields yeah or the talent and, and by the way sure. this is not to say that um he's he, clearly talented he's wildly talented if you saw yeah. my early videos you'd like you'd think i was an idiot my early videos were god awful but but the point is like to persist through that takes a certain kind of gumption and i think that he did it so publicly Nobody's seen my early videos. I like to keep it that way. They're too embarrassing. But like (laughs) Jimmy's are online right now. And like that is such a, it's such an incredible thing to be able to track someone's progress the way you can look at his and his success is so like otherworldly in this space. He's gone beyond what anybody thought was possible. I would challenge that there are a few celebrities in the world. Who generate the kind of income the kind of money the kind of revenue that he does he's on the re- level of like the rock like that's the kind of talent he is he's doing the unimaginable um, and he's doing it all out in the public and you out in public if you want to see how he did it, just go to his YouTube channel scroll all the way to the bottom and it is a fascinating case study
0: and, and just to touch on that on that uh that Jimmy story you know when I was listening to him i I've, I've written about I've written about his success before. I've written about his structure and how he's built his his business and his brand. Um, I believe that his, his chief talents are consumer psychology, like understanding what people want and understanding how virality works. I think that that's where his ability is second to none. And he expresses that talent through 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 his YouTube videos. That's what I believe. But, you know, again, obviously you're you're, you're the expert here.
1: Jimmy's like one of those people like um, if you've ever been around uh, someone who does not speak English or you've ever been to a foreign country or like I think the first time I went to France or Mexico or something like you're just sitting there and two people are speaking a language you do not understand and they're speaking it so effortlessly and it's like you feel so on the outside, but it's something to them that's so natural. It's just the way they speak. And that's what Jimmy's relationship with YouTube and the internet is. Like I've got 4 billion views on YouTube and my understanding of how to, how to leverage that platform, how that platform works from user behavior to consumption behavior, everything in between. I am like a newborn baby compared to Jimmy. He is like a, he is like a Einstein when it comes to understanding how that platform works. I would say, I'll say this and I would say this to anybody inside of YouTube. There is no one. There is no one at YouTube from the C-suite level down. There's no one at YouTube who has an understanding of how that platform works, the way that Jimmy knows how it works. Um, You know, speaking in sort of the singular way, which is like capturing an audience. No one gets it the amount of money that YouTube spent on originals in the last decade has not yielded the results that Jimmy has uniquely yielded. Um, he speaks a language that no one else speaks and he speaks it with an effortless fluency that is, is, that is so captivating and talk about talent. Like that is a, that's not just a a unique talent, but it's a talent that he has harnessed and built businesses around and done incredible things around. And, um, Uh, there there are a few creators that i'm in as much awe of as i am
0: jimmy who are your other interests right now like what are what are you interested in right now what are you reading what are you watching um honestly
1: like all i've been doing is uh is i've just been investing doing early stage startup investing probably for the last i mean i've been doing it since i sort of exited my company and uh and you know, initially it started as something where it was much more, I think, altruistic and benevolent. In that, uh, the days, earliest days of me fundraising were such a scary, awful process. And I remember the people who stepped up and believed in me, and I knew they were believing in me, and they wrote a check behind that. And when I found myself for the first time in my life in a position to do that for someone else, it was a, it was a wonderful feeling. So when I'd meet someone who I was who I believed in, I would gladly support them but it's sort of over the years it's become something that as i've become a little bit more sophisticated and understand sort of processes and how to seek opportunities out and seek out the right founders and speak with the right people and build the right relationships um it's become something that i can approach now with a little bit less emotion a little bit more sort of rational or opportunistic um perspective and i think that 2020 uh is an inflection point that is probably unlike any other for our generation web in that things that would have transpired transitions that would have happened culturally, socially, financially, um, politically, geopolitically, I think these sorts of transitions that would have otherwise taken five to 10 years, we're now seeing happen inside of 12 to 18 months. And we're seeing this accelerated adoption of, of new technologies of, um, all sorts of things and spaces that that you know typically were sort of a frog in boiling water. You don't notice them changing, but they're happening so radically uh, that within there, there's opportunity that I've never seen before. I've never known to look for before. So within that opportunity, I find myself now doing nothing but seeking out those opportunities, seeing how I can be a part of them, especially ones that I'm passionate about, um, and then writing checks behind them uh, and helping out where I can otherwise.
0: So, are you focused on on the creator space exclusively, or are you branching out beyond?
1: Uh, I'm not focused on the creator space at all. Stir is the only investment I've made in the creator space. I think,
0: period. Maybe that's not right. Uh, what are your other investments? Do you mind me asking? Can you share with us?
1: Yeah, I'm not getting into specifics because, um, okay, I, but I'm, I'm happy to speak generalities. Like I'm, I'm sure, finance is mainly where I'm focused right now. Um, I think that, like, one, decentralized finance is something that fascinates me. Two, I think that the general way that money works, the way that the U.S. economy, the global economy works, where we're just constantly, constantly creating more debt and we have to create more value to meet that debt um, and just sort of perpetuating that that momentum is the only way to uphold our financial system globally. That is so f- insanely antiquated that has been around since like the you know what 16th 17th century maybe that is our financial system it just it doesn't make sense this idea of fiat currencies and governments that can borrow as much as they want to borrow and just keep sort of extending that out and uh extending debt out and and none of it's ever really made much sense to me and the more i educate myself on it, the more I understand sort of what things might look like into the future. Um, and I'm not talking about speculating on Bitcoin here. I'm talking about more opportunities, more technologies that actually reach and touch human beings and can help human beings and what it means to be able to like, um, you know, direct support is something that is really exciting for me. Like when it comes to helping other people around the world, um, being able to just give someone money who uh, who lives in the Congo because I found their story and I find it exciting. Like there's not really a system in place right now in the world that can do that, but you know DeFi enables that. Like um, cryptocurrencies enable that. Uh, I think it was in 2012 when there was a huge typhoon. Was it? 2012? Maybe it was before that. 2013. Huge typhoon in um, the Philippines. I did this project where I got all this money from a movie studio and I wanted to donate it to help the people who are struggling there in the Philippines and I couldn't do it. And I was so frustrated that the only way I figured out to deploy that capital to those who need it was to literally fly to the Philippines with the money in hand and go around helping people one-on-one. And like I've never lost sight of that. And I think that like the new technologies that are emerging in- Like how antiquated that was? Yeah, like, that's, that's fucking insane. That's insane. Yeah. The, the middlemen, like the banking systems. Um, and if you look at what blockchain enables, you look at what cryptocurrencies enable, you look at sort of what decentralized finance en- en- enable, when there is no middleman. There's no bank in between me and you. Um, what that can do for people around the world, what can that do for sort of equality, what that can do for people who are in countries that have a totally fucked Fiat currency, where they're looking at inflation rates that makes it impossible for them to buy bread. Um, it all of that fascinates me because to me, like that is the future. I think that like learning about what blockchain enables right now is like learning about what the internet could enable back in the '80s or '90s. Like that's what it seems like to me. And you know, I was, I was a kid in the '80s and '90s, but I remember like learning about internet for the first time and. My imagination went crazy, and like I haven't had that feeling since I was a kid. And the more I educate myself, and the more I understand what could be the real-world implications of of the blockchain, the more excited I get. And I try to harness that excitement, harness that enthusiasm, into seeking out opportunities that I think um, one you know could deliver upside. Like um, there are self-serving interests here, but also opportunities that I think could have the greatest impact on. Um, society at large.
0: That's really fascinating to me because one of the things I want to solve personally is a better system for peer-to-peer enrichment, lending, um, assistance in wealth creation. Um, Great example, right? So um, let's say that someone is willing to Provide you a personal loan, peer to peer, without any intermediaries, for a better rate that would then allow you to, you know, uh, invest your other income elsewhere or take on an official loan without that debt to income ratio tag. By tagging, I mean like without that bur- additional burden uh, through debt to income ratio. If you're trying to buy a house or something, what what I'm seeing now is that there's no real system for that type of peer-to-peer enrichment unless you are of a level of wealth where like your your circle or your family can provide that for you. And I'd be really interested in seeing like how blockchain technology could make that process more efficient. Um, that's what's really fascinating for me because I believe that, you know, wealth creation is the most important issue for a lot of for everyone but specifically for you know uh the, the middle class and for um for a lot of minorities i think that's one of the most important issues of our time and there are very few ways to hack hack success in that in that sense these days
1: yeah i think that i think that's really well said i think that that's an interesting way to sort of identify a problem and then understand how new technologies could help address or resolve that problem. And that's, what's exciting to me. Um, I find it really difficult and almost frustrating to talk about blockchain technology right now because uh, this latest, you know, crypto um, surge in the market. Like I think that 99% of the conversations right now, is about speculating on tokens and that's cool. And it's, it's fun, but it will correct as it does. It's cyclical in nature. And, but, um, What's really interesting is how broad the adoption is and where it's actually being implemented for real-world real world applications. Uh, let's talk about one company in particular, and this is okay. a company that I just tweeted about yesterday. Um, but the company's called Celo, C-E-L-O. And, you know, Celo is a company that was founded by two, well, three people, but th- two guys really that I met while I was at MIT. Um, and my MIT professor, like... I, wrote the white paper for it, and essentially it is like a, um, a blockchain protocol it 's a you know like Ethereum or something like that. Um, but it was built with such intent and that 's what excited me about it. It was built with such intent, and the intent was to like um, be able to transfer money, be able to provide uh, capital to people wherever they might be in in whatever way they might need it and One of the first uh, products that was built on top of Cello is something called Valora. And I'm bringing it up now because I think Valora just launched globally, I think in all but like a handful of countries yesterday. And it's essentially like a decentralized uh, Venmo or, or cash app or something like that. Um, but, you know, I could send somebody in 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 the Philippines, I could send them a hundred bucks right now and it cost me like a, a penny or less than a penny. And it's really fascinating. But I think one of the things that they did as part of their pilot program is they identified thirty five hundred women entrepreneurs that were in the philippines whose isn't, whose businesses were sort of really disrupted by by the uh by the pandemic and it sought to help them and it helped them with direct financing by giving them money directly it taught them how to use this this app called Ballora, which is you know it 's as easy to use as a venmo and then money started showing up immediately on their phone no middleman no none of those sort of uh None of that sort of antiquated process that I think you were just discussing and talking about getting loans, none of that. Um nothing stood between them and the cash. It was just a way to directly finance these these uh women entrepreneurs. And the impact was tremendous. It was huge. And the that is so exciting. Like that that is so interesting to me. That's such a, that's such an application of this technology that demonstrates what it's truly uh its its true potential could be to make all of that happen without a bank. Um, that's fascinating to me and watching Celo grow has been fascinating. Um, you know, they have like a a Y Combinator model under Celo called C-Labs where they're incubating themselves, companies that are building, uh, apps on top of their Celo protocol. That's fascinating. That kind of holistic thinking. And then just sort of this, this underlying altruistic opportunities that this protocol can present to the world, like that's very compelling to me. I think that like Web, there's so much, especially in the, the DeFi and blockchain space, there's so much noise and so much happening. It's really hard to understand the what's and the why. It feels like there's so much crypto for crypto's sake out there. Um, but knowing uh, Merrick, knowing Renee, knowing Seth, the three founders of Celo, I know what their intention is. I know what their ambitions are behind this company and uh, behind this protocol, behind what it could enable. And watching them grow in the last four or five years has been fascinating. And I think that so much of my interest in this space has been peaked by being so close to them as they built it out, the way that they built out that company.
0: This is really fascinating to me. I'm actually looking at it right now. I'm, looking, I'm going through your, your, your tweets about Solo um, about right now. Um, when did this emerge as a primary interest for you, finance and the facilitation of uh, of human connection through finance like when when did that emerge
1: well i mean that the story of me going to the Philippines on like a one man relief mission that was apparently. the catalyst I, that was part of it, but then also like you know um Ben Stiller, Jerome Jar, and myself uh there's a couple other people involved too, but in i don't know what year it was two thousand and sixteen maybe um during the somalia uh the famine in Somalia. Uh, there was this tremendous drought in Somalia that obviously turned into this horrible famine. And we did this thing where we leveraged all of our social media assets, everything we could to raise as much money as possible. And like, you know, we raised like $2.5 million in like 10 days. And then we got Turkish Airlines to agree to give us like a handful of cargo jets from the US to Somalia, which is like an insane expense, a huge undertaking. And then learning how complicated it was to deploy that money, how like impossible, I mean impossible, Um, becoming totally disenfranchised with the United Nations, they wanted to take the money, they didn't even have boots on the ground in Somalia, their headquarters were in Nigeria for the famine in Somalia, Um, understanding how much of their money was going to security and bullshit like that. We just wanted to help people who didn't have access to food. And what ended up happening is Jerome Jar went to Somalia for months and months on end until he figured out how to deploy this capital himself. Um, and the impact he had versus giving away was huge. But those sorts of instances uh, are really, you know, they, they affect me um, on a much smaller scale. Like, you know, I do, whenever I've done silly fun things online, like give away money or whatever, it's like, send me your cash app, or send me your Venmo. Um, there's always like, so many pissed off people and the replies that are like, I live in this country, so I can't use it or I wish I could be a part of it, but I'm, I'm not in the States. I don't have access to that app. And in those moments, it's just sort of like, why doesn't this just work any everywhere? And then when you start to understand why products like that can't work everywhere, it's like, "Ugh, this system is, is fucked. There needs to be something better. Technology should enable something better. Um, so it was a, it was a confluence of those factors and confluence of getting to know, uh, SEP, my MIT professor, hearing him talk about this stuff, like, i was super naive, uneducated, uh, uninformed about any of this is all new, new to me. Um, So me trying to figure it out. There's a great book by Nick Bilton called uh, American Kingpin. And it's about uh, the Silk Road back in the early, early, early days of Bitcoin, where it's used to buy drugs and all kinds of other illegal shit off of the internet. And I remember reading that book and like I found that so captivating and it really piqued my interest and in, um, not from a nefarious point of view, but just it was that book was such a salacious read that it, it sort of humanized this technology in a way that I, I didn't quite understand prior to reading that. So it was all, it was all these factors that got me really interested um, and I wish I understood more. And I think that anybody who might be listening to this who is an expert is probably like, that Casey guy's a fucking idiot and they're not wrong. But this is this is more a demonstration an illustration or me me voicing my my interest and my enthusiasm more than it is me trying to um share with you my vast and complex understanding because it's not that
0: well I think that you always sell yourself short. That's clear. You're like one of the most humble people that I know. I can't even believe sometimes you take the time on me to be to be fair. Um here's what I think is most fascinating about what you were just talking about. When I hear of decentralization, we tend to hear it in the context of we need media decentralized because everyone should have their own power or everyone should be able to go direct or we need our financial system decentralized. You know, we think about it in the context of gain or status or or financial independence in the context of America, right? We never hear about the use cases that you're talking about. And I think, I think what the audience is going to find most entertaining and what, what they're going to find most useful is you're making us think beyond our own pain points and how the technology that is being developed through DeFi and through Celo and organizations like that are actually implementing ways to solve the problems that you felt were unsolvable five years ago. I think that that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, that's a great I think that's a great sort of um, summation, Webb. I think you said that right. Is it's like these problems that seemed um, insurmountable all of a sudden now, like I can start to see. I can see the future. i like to make it more personal, more <laughs> it's like when I was making my vlog, I always had contributors all over the world that would like send me music and stuff. And the deal that I always made with them is like, if I can figure out how to get paid or work an ad in here, I'll send you some of what I get paid. And I did that with everybody and like depending on where they were coming from, the pain in the ass factor of getting people money would sort of shrink and expand. If they were, you know, in New Jersey, it was really easy. I could just send them a Venmo um, or a cash app or whatever. But like when it was people in other countries that didn't have those products, like yeah, sending them cash was so difficult. And the idea now that I can just do it from my phone to another phone without any intermediary. Um, for virtually no transaction fee. Like that to me seems so uh, unimaginable just a couple of years ago. And that's a really stupid example of using tech like that. I think um, philanthropy is a really, really exciting, really compelling way to use tech like that. But I think that it shows how dynamic that uh, technology, how dynamic the opportunities that that technology presents could be.
0: Do you feel like this is? the rest of your professional life
1: no um in fact like you know I've always wanted to learn how to surf my whole life and i've always been really frustrated that i can't surf because i'm an okay skateboarder and snowboarder and stuff and when i moved to california two years ago um i completely committed myself to surfing and now i surf like seven days a week and i'm in the water every day and like i've gotten like um I'm no longer absolutely terrible and people don't laugh as me, laugh at me as much when I'm out there anymore. Um, But my wife laughs at me because like when she sees me only talking about surfing or buying my 27th surfboard or whatever it might be, she laughs because she's like, you always get obsessed with stuff and then you stop being interested. And rather than arguing with her or pushing back against that, I think that I've just, I'm ready to accept that she's right. Um, But I see it more as a, as a, good thing. I try to embrace it as a virtue rather than see it as a down thing. Like I sink my teeth into something and I became, I become completely obsessed with it. And I do my very best to understand it as best I can to participate in it as best I can. Um, And it's usually I I do get, I do get sort of bored of it. And I think that's what happened with my daily show on YouTube. And, you know, like i never in my life sort of participated in software development and since selling my software development company, I've never once thought about software development, but there was a three year period in my life where all I did was focus on building a company that developed software. Um, uh, there was a point in my life where I raced on a professional track with on team. Like that's what I did all summer long, all season long. I would race triathlons, usually one or two a week. I was really good. Um, but I don't do that anymore. So I, I accept that at age 40, I accept that, um, when I'm interested in something, I'm all in, but that I have a pretty short fuse. Uh, uh, maybe what's different about this is that, like, I, I hope that what is now just kind of investing and supporting the companies that I invest in with, with the limited skill set that I have now, I would hope that maybe in the future that my skill set, my understanding could improve and I would have more to offer than maybe just a check or advising on marketing and things like that. Um, Maybe that's a more smart, intellectual answer to your question is just that I hope this will manifest into something more substantial than what I'm able to, how I'm able to participate right now.
0: And so that's, that's probably the last question I'm going to leave you with. It's who are you studying, if anyone who or which organizations are you studying to better prepare yourself to be um, a contributor? To the to the companies that you are investing in and believing in and supporting
1: um oh it's it's one person and it's probably maybe it's because of my own ego or whatever but like i've never been comfortable with um identifying another individual in my life as a mentor uh ever before meeting uh a guy named sep sep Kamvar, and i met him this at MIT. m.i.t right Yeah, I met him there in 2014. I actually think he and I met a year before that when he was considering me for the fellowship at MIT. Um, And I've just never kind of met someone who I think is as thoughtful and as kind and as good of a dad and a teacher and a leader as he is, who at the same time will have a hundred things going on at any given time and to talk to him you'd have no idea because he's so focused and engaged on the conversation that you're having with him um you know like he is the you know he wrote the white paper he is a huge hand in leading what cello is and what cello is becoming but he also started an entire network of uh early education schools called wildflower which is all over the country and you know he's a tenured professor at MIT and He still works with so many of his, uh, so many of the people that he met there and so many people he met when he was at Google and the the various twists and turns he's had in his career. And he participates in so many of the companies that he's helped foster um, in such meaningful ways. He was the first investor in my tech company. And I would call him three times a week because I wouldn't know what things like a cap table were and like really stupid shit like that that I could have just Googled. But instead, I'm, I'm using up his time. And he always had time for me. He always had what felt like, he always made me feel like I was the only person in the world. Um, And I admire that so much. And he and I have like, these standing by weekly phone calls now where we discuss all sorts of things, and uh, everything from parenting to investment opportunities to, you know, how I could be a a better participant in the companies that I invest in and things like that. But he is someone that I look up to with tremendous admiration um, in every facet of, of who he is. So uh, I hope to someday be able to do for others what I've seen him do for so many.
0: Well, I think this has been a beautiful discussion because one of the core themes of 2PM is that uh, you know, I, we believe that deep generalism is the way forward. It's the way that you can learn the most and experience the most in life. And just your, your perspectives on things and how widely ranged they are is sort of the, the embodiment of that. Um, the things that we've touched on, what your aspirations are, what you seek to learn, who you're willing to learn from, and just the depth of your knowledge across so many hobbies and and pursuits I think are that's what that's what I hope to share with other people. I think that's that's the best way to live life so I guess congratulations for for how you've chosen to live it
1: Well, thanks, Webb. Did you really buy a microphone just so we could do this podcast?
0: I mean, if I'm only going to get one shot with, with you, then I'm going to pay that two hundred twenty-nine dollars for that. Mindset. You know,
1: in fairness, I have texted you every day this week because you said you can't do it on short notice. So instead of going from one hours notice, I've been trying to give you, <laughs> I've been trying to give you six hours
0: notice. Um, you know, to be a good friend. But uh, you are a saint. You are a saint. I uh, to I'm be glad fair. It out. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out. I I am always. I'm always anxious. I'm always overworked. I'm moving around, trying to make a million things happen at once. And like when I got your text today, it was like, this is finally the chance. And I have the, the space and the time and the quiet to do it. So I'm glad it all worked out.
1: Uh, well, I appreciate that. Um, especially because when you would text me and you'd be like, I know you're busy. And I'd be like, "Web, I'm not busy. I'm just incapable of sitting still for an hour and having a conversation. I'm not busy. I'm doing nothing. I'm like sitting at the beach right now. I'm like playing fucking bingo with my two-year-old again. Like I'm doing nothing. I just am not good at sitting still. Um, but I always appreciate it. And I always love our talks.
0: Likewise, man. And uh, I'm going to end us here because I think I think that this is just going to be one of the one of the strongest episodes i've I've done and i'm excited for people to hear it